With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Tremendous Tuesday, the one and all. Welcome into the Vivid Seat Studios from LB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you with another great podcast as I am here from sunny San Diego, California. As I was here for a charity golf outing, some of you guys may have seen the pictures on Twitter, but it was absolutely tremendous. Absolutely loving it out here. And I absolutely love the fact that we have Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs joining me in the... I absolutely love the fact that we've got Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs joining me in the second segment. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, I did receive a question or two into the Twitter mailbag. You can always feel free to fire those in at GNRSquarty1. So let's get into it. So you have questions and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Once again, always tweet those into the timeline because if you tweet those into the DMs, it's like trying to go to an event and not being able to have tickets. And a place that has your back with that regards is Vivid Seats. If you go to the Vivid Seats app and if you're a first-time customer, you're able to get up to $100 off of all tickets by putting in my promo code OVERTIME. That's all one word, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. Whether it be MLB postseason games, that is your fancy, college basketball, NFL, or if you just like concerts in general and you're not much into going to live sporting events, Vivid Seats has you covered. That once again is overtime, all one word, to the Vivid Seats app. I've received this podcast before, but I've been asked if smaller cards are easier for me to handicap, and I actually like a little bit of a bigger card. The big reason why is because with a smaller card, it is a situation in which one or two missteps can really torpedo your day. I thrive on just betting every single game. I always take the long-term approach, and it is one of those situations where, for me, 
The play I feel most and least strongly about, the difference for me is probably much, much, much smaller than any other person. It's one of those situations where I study the whole web. I have pretty much the same gauge on all these teams and I just really have never been able to thrive on just picking a couple select plays, which means that the bigger card always favors myself over the smaller one because I've got less picking, which means that the luck factor is going to be balanced out more than more. And though I will say we didn't necessarily see that in September, so that's beside the point. And then I did have someone tweet me in that they were saying that they were doing a bad job of betting and everything like that. I took a look at their card and they had bet eight different sports. And my advice to you is if you're having a tough time betting and you're betting a whole bunch of different sports to maybe just specialize in sports. You guys know me. I'm a guy that I give a side in total in every game in baseball, football, with regards to football, NFL, not college football, but NFL and college basketball. But I really only do those three sports. I don't go for five, six, seven, eight, however many sports just because If I do too many sports, I spread myself a little bit too thin and I just really try to hone in on a couple select sports and just bet everything in that sport. That's the way that I've been able to thrive. And I find that if you spread yourself a little bit too thin, you try to look at a little bit of too much with regards to the amount of sports that you do, you're just not able to acquire all that knowledge on all those sports that you need to be successful. So just a little bit of advice there. I appreciate those questions. Like I said, always feel free to tweet those into the timeline at GNRSquare1. Now let's take a look back at yesterday's results and try to find some baseball betting trends and just try to get a little bit more of a better gauge on the postseason in general. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We did see one series come to an end on Monday as it was the New York Yankees being able to put the final touches on the Minnesota Twins. 5-1 to one, the final in this one. For the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that has now lost 16 consecutive postseason games and Luis Severino did a very good job for this team. He was able to go four innings, did not give up a single earned run, and when you take a look at it, the only run that was given up by the New York Yankees was Tommy Camely. They went five strong innings out of the bullpen, giving up just one run, and for the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that all year long had been thriving on offense. Well, in this series, they wind up cranking out six runs over the course of three games. That's not going to get the job done, but what is going to get the job done? Gleyber Torres being able to supply his first home run of the postseason, then also going yard for the New York Yankees in this one was Cameron Mabin. Just shows the absolute depth of this team. And for the Yankees, three of ten with men in scoring position. I will say, for the season, the Yankees were the top over team on the road this year. But they were playing a lot more unders towards the back half of the year. They certainly played an under in this one. And for the Minnesota Twins, lone form of offense, Eddie Rosario. His first home run of the postseason, but... The Twins, well, they have nobody but themselves to blame. They leave 11 men on base, and they go 1 for 12 in scoring position. And for the Twins, Jake Odorizzi did not give a bad start given the circumstances. Five innings pitch, he gives up two runs, and then the bullpen from there, they give up a combined three runs over the course of four innings, so they didn't necessarily do their job, but by and large, it was just the Minnesota Twins not being able to cash in on opportunities. The LA Dodgers also weren't able to cash in on opportunities, and that's why we got a game five as the Washington Nationals were able to take them down by a count of six of one. The big key in this one for the Washington Nationals, how about a three-run home run by Ryan Zimmerman? This is a guy that's been banged up all year long. 
long, they are very happy to have him back in the fold. And for the Washington Nationals, they wind up getting a total of 10 hits. They go 2 of 5 with men in scoring position, so they took advantage there. And I've been noting on this podcast that Max Scherzer just has not been himself. Well, we saw vintage Max Scherzer in this one. He winds up giving up a home run in the first inning to Justin Turner down for what? And then from there, he settled down. Seven innings of one-run baseball. Sean doing very little for betters, and Danny Hudson were able to close out the final two innings from there. And as expected, Richo was pretty much an opener for the LA Dodgers. He goes two and two-thirds innings. He gives up one run in the process. But it was Julio Arias, who had pitched two innings the day before, coming back out, and he got two outs, and he gave up three runs, all of which were earned. Ross Stripling only goes an inning. He gives up a run. So a Dodgers bullpen, which was the top with regards to ERA over the last three days of the regular season, they wind up going a total of five and a third innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. That is why we have a game five. And for the Dodgers, I mentioned missed opportunities. 0 for 8 with men in scoring position. The Cardinals and the Atlanta Braves certainly played an exciting game, and the Cardinals were able to keep their season alive with a 5-4 win. For the Atlanta Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. continues to be white hot. He wound up having four hits in this game, but it was Ozzie Albies that delivered a big home run, a three-run shot in the fifth inning off of Dakota Hudson. His first of the campaign, but the St. Louis Cardinals now 18-4 regular season and postseason in Dakota Hudson's last 22 starts. As for Hudson, he winds up going a grand total of four and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, only one of which was earned, though. He is hurt by a Matt Carpenter ground ball, and that wound up extending the innings. So Dakota Hudson has given up more than three earned runs, I believe, in just two, maybe three starts so far this year. And the game went so long for the St. Louis Cardinals that the guy that started game one for the seams, Miles Mikolas, well, he wound up having to give an ending of relief. That's why we're going to be seeing Jack Flaherty as the starter in game five of this set. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, their bullpen, which has been a little bit shaky over the last three days, over the last three days of the regular season, they had a bottom 10 bullpen with regards to ERA. It was terrific in this one. Once again, five and a third innings. They don't give up a single earned run. And for the Atlanta Braves, and really get an ideal start out of Dallas Keuchel. Three and a third innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then the bullpen from there winds up going six and a third innings. They give up two runs, both of which were earned. So maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh on them, but by and large, the St. Louis Cardinals being able to get the job done with their bullpen was a difference in this one and also a difference. The Atlanta Braves 0 for 9 with men in scoring position. Meanwhile, the St. Louis Cardinals 1 of 10. So certainly both teams had some chances early and they weren't able to cash in. And the Tampa Bay Rays had an opportunity to be able to force a game four in their series with the Houston Astros, and they were able to take advantage. 10-3 the final in this one after the Tampa Bay Rays had three runs of the first 18 innings of this set. Charlie Morton looked absolutely terrific in this one. Five innings pitch, gives up just one run. That one run was a sole home run. Being able to go deep for the Houston Astros in this contest was Mr. Jose Altuve, second of the postseason. But for Zach Greinke, he was taken deep two more times in that. He gave up three home runs in three and two-thirds innings, giving up six runs total. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, it was a hit parade in this one. Kevin Kiermaier, G-Man Choi, Willie Adamas, Nate Lowe, all go yard for the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Houston Astros had to look to Wade Miley to make the climb to the mound for some relief. And he got hit like a wrecking ball. Two and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, two of which were earned. Miley Cyrus also sang a song about these six ways. And unfortunately, he wasn't left in long enough to be able to give up six runs, but still very funny as the Houston Astros bullpen, which was one of the top five in the big leagues with regards to ERA all year long. Four and a third innings, they give up four runs, three of which were earned for the Tampa Bay Rays. Bullpen in this one, once again, was pretty good. They wind up going four innings, they give up two runs, both of which were earned, considering they're playing the Astros pretty darn good. So now if you're taking a look at the postseason with regards to the 
over and under rate in this one. You saw it go two and two yesterday. That means that we have seen so far in the postseason eight unders and six overs. Meanwhile, the favorites in the postseason, they continue to be pretty prolific as it was the favorites going three and one on this day. Favorites now 11 and five in the postseason. And the Minnesota Twins have now lost 16 straight postseason games. That is by far a record. So you do want to note that as it was another exciting day of postseason baseball. And we were actually talking about it during the Dodgers versus Nationals game live with Dan Zaborski of Fangrass. You're going to be hearing that conversation that I had earlier yesterday with him next right here on MLB Overtime Battle. Greg is phoning a friend and going out to the Azunia Hotline. All right, we are back here in the Vivid Seat Studios. Friendly B Overtime Betting, Greg Peterson coming at you once again. And it is always great to have this man on this fine podcast. He does terrific work with Fangraphs, and he also does some work for ESPN as well. You know this man from many different outlets. And whenever this guy puts up a story, it's a must-read because it is terrific. You can follow Dan Zimborski on Twitter at DZimborski. And let me spell that out for you. The letter D and then S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. Does terrific work. Has been on this podcast all year long. And is joining me once again. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing tremendous. Thank you. I'm out here in San Diego. So certainly cannot complain about the weather. And the Tampa Bay Rays are complaining about San Diego weather. No. Or not ever. <laughs> If you're complaining about San Diego weather, this coming from someone that was born and raised in Wisconsin, then I don't know what's wrong with you. And (laughs) the weather on Tampa Bay is pretty good as well. And someone that was very good for the Tampa Bay Rays on Monday was Charlie Morton as this team was able to force a game four. For game four, it looks like the Houston Astros are going to be going with Justin Verlander in this spot, the game one starter. What do you think that we can expect from Justin Verlander? Because I think that he's going on full rest, if I remember correctly, but it shows that the Astros are really going to be going with a three-man rotation instead of a four. He's He is on short rest. He's one day less than full one rest. One day short rest, yeah. The, the next starter, uh, Garrett Cole, if it gets to a game five, he will have had two off days, so he will be on full rest. So they get that rest day after, you know, the first two games, the fourth game. So I think the plan was generally to have Verlander on short rest because... If, if the top three rotation is Verlander and, and Cole and Zach Granke, you're pretty much going to ride those guys. Oh, exactly. And we saw Wade Miley at the end of the year. I think that part of the reason why we're seeing Justin Verlander here as well, I don't know if it would have made an impact or not, but in three out of Wade Miley's last four starts, he made it to the second inning, and that was about it. I remember he got no offs against the Seattle Mariners. I think there was another start where he got approximately one out and gave up seven runs. And then he only got went one inning in another start, giving up four runs. So Wade Miley's shakiness, I guess you could say, really forced a hand as well. Yeah, there were two games where I think he got like, he combined for like 10 or 11 runs allowed with one runs out. runs in one out. Was it 12 runs? Okay, yeah, it was a lot yeah. of runs, however many runs it was. His ERA, I mean, it was under three as late as August, I believe. So he was having a pretty solid season, and he just, just struggled lately. It's like uh, Wally Coyote cartoons, where he'd walk off the edge of the cliff, and then the Roadrunner would give him a book or something, and then he'd learn about gravity, and he'd fall. That's, that's kind of like Miley's season. Yeah, it certainly has not been good, as we've got Dan Zaborski joining me right here on the podcast, something that actually is good. And with regards to the playoffs in general, I feel like 
The Dodgers offense has been a little bit hit or miss, but we certainly saw it on Sunday. Team was able to erupt for seven runs in the sixth inning against the Washington Nationals. The Nationals had been having a lot of success with Steven Strasburg and Mad Max Scherzer coming out of the bullpen. They try it with Patrick Corbin. It did not work out. What are your thoughts on some of these teams that try out their starter coming out of the bullpen in these spots? Because I feel like once or twice it could be effective, but if you keep going to the well time and time again, it is one of those situations where you run the risk of getting burnt, and we saw that with the Washington Nationals. Yeah, I, I think one of the things is if you have a truly high leverage situation, a crucial must get the batter out situation. Yeah, if you think your starter is the best guy to bring in, bring him in for that. But I think when you start stretching your starters to use them just in kind of normal relief situations, I think that's when you ask for trouble because at some point they're going to have to trust their bullpen. If they can't trust anybody in their bullpen, they're not going to win the World Series. They're not going to get to the World Series. They There's only so much they can ride, Strasburg, Scherzer, and Corbin, and I guess Anibal Sanchez. They think, yeah, I wouldn't trust their bullpen either, but they're going to have to at some point. And, and they got burned a little. As you said, they went to the well one too many times, I think, with Pat Corbin. Yeah, I just totally agree with you. And it's one of those situations where bullpens do become so paramount here in the postseason. We've seen it with the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals, by and large, for the year, have one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. But I feel like what got lost on a lot of people is the fact that over the last 30 days of the regular season, bullpen was in the bottom 10 of the big leagues with regards to ERA. And it's reared its ugly head right now with Carlos Martinez not being able to get outs for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now you've had guys like Giovanni Gallegos and company be very good for this team, but... It's one of these spots where I think that having a dominant closer is one of the more underrated parts of baseball right now, just because there are so few of them. Although you had to get to them. It does seem like a lot of the playoff or near playoff teams this year had pretty poor bullpens. I haven't actually studied that, but it feels like more than in most years, there have been teams with struggling bullpens. The Braves were struggling most of the season bullpen-wise. The Cubs didn't make the playoffs, but they were struggling. The Dodgers weren't up to the usual standards. The Nationals of course, it's been a train wreck at times. So it, it kind of makes you wonder if this is the year that the bullpens aren't going to be able to count it on. I don't know what you've been seeing in the postseason so far, but everyone had the Astros as a favorite to be able to win the World Series. But I still think the Astros are the clear favorite. No fans are much about it. But I like what I saw the Yankees out of the first two games. Now, keep in mind, we're going to be doing this before game three as a final. And Luis Severino is going to be going up against Jake Odorizzi in that one. But the Yankees... It just feels like with all those pieces healthy, guys like John Carlos and Aaron Judge was back for quite a bit, but having him in there along with a guy like an Edwin Encarnacion makes this lineup one of the most fearsome we've seen perhaps this millennium. Yeah, the Yankees are a very dangerous team. We did have the Astros and Dodgers before the season. I haven't seen anything that makes me change my mind, so at this point I still have to say Astros and Dodgers. But the Nationals, they do match up very well with the Dodgers. Projections, I run the Zips projections, had them almost 50-50 coming into the series simply because Washington has those top three starters that a very deep front end. But once they get to the back end over the course of a season, 162 games, then the Dodgers have the advantage. But the postseason's different. Actually, there's some value betting on the Nationals. We'll, we'll see how that works out. I think that the Dodgers will breathe a sigh of relief if they get past this round. I bet they were rooting for the Brewers. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they were as well, because with the Washington Nationals, it's not often that you see a team that winds up having to play a wild card game that they've got a good front line like they did. Patrick Corbin, Max Scherzer, and Steven Strasburg 
a three-headed starting monster that you just don't see elsewhere. I would say that the only team that really matches up in regards to the National League is the LA Dodgers because you've obviously got Hunjin Ryu, Clayton Kershaw, and then you fill that out with Walker Buehler. And then with the Astros, we all know about their three. We were talking about a little bit earlier, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and then you bring in their Zach Greinke at the trade deadline. There's just no other real starting three that matches up with these three teams, especially not a team like the New York Yankees, a team like the Minnesota Twins, or any of those teams out there in the American League. Of course, a live update. Just literally 10 seconds ago, Justin Turner homered off Max Scherzer. Yeah, yep. I saw that coming in. With Max Scherzer, I just feel like him starting in this game was a little bit suspect to me because with Max Scherzer, ever since he got that injury and came off the injured list, his ERA hovering right around a 4.8. He has not been himself. No, he isn't. I mean, he's striking out guys, but his command's been more erratic since he came back. We saw that at times in his previous, even when he was rolling. Not so much that relief appearance where he struck out the side, but there have been times where he's just not quite as sharp as he used to be. I don't want to say his control has been bad. It's just the commands has been slightly off, I feel. Uh, yeah, I just take a look at, because I'm streaming the game right now, all the pitches that he's throwing are right down Main Street, by the way. He still has his good stuff and everything like that, but to your point, the control is not there. And do you think that the offseason is going to help out Max Scherzer, or is it possibly him having a little bit of a fall-off? Because what I feel like a lot of us are forgetting is the fact that he's 35 years old. He's starting to get up there in years. Well, the nice thing about pictures is if you map them out, they don't really have an aging curve the same way batters do. The way I tell people is I say, batters age, pictures break. Injury is kind of the aging version of a picture. And really, until you get to 37 or 38, the curve isn't really that steep for aging. There's just that kind of attrition as players get injured. But his injury this year isn't the type that makes me worry about him in the offseason. I mean, he's still hitting 99 fairly easily, even if though I think one or two of these guns has been a little juiced. But I think with an entire offseason, the rest, I think he'll be fine in April. But they need him now, of course, because without Scherzer, I don't see how they're going to win the World Series. No, not at all. Without Max Scherzer, not only are they not going to win the World Series, they're not going to be alive when I do this podcast tomorrow. So <laughs> there, there is that. As we've got Dan Zaborski joining me right here on the podcast. And when you take a look at the MLB offseason in general, I think that it's going to be very intriguing because I know that we're all talking about how great the Houston Astros are with their starting three. We just mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. One of those pieces, he's going to be a free agent in Garrett Cole. Do you think that there's any chance that the Astros retain him? Because from everything I'm hearing, he's going to be going elsewhere and he's going to be getting a contract that starts in the range of David Price and then heightens from there. Yeah, he is going to make a lot of money this offseason. Yep. The Astros could very well keep him. I don't think that they're going to let him go. I think that if one of their big players goes in the next couple of years, I think it'll possibly be George Springer simply because of the team's outfield depth. Obviously, there's no guarantee they'll keep Cole, but I think... If they choose to, they could make a very good offer and keep Cole. I think Granky, to some extent, is almost hedging their bets a little bit because if they lose Cole, they'll still have Verlander and Granky. But we'll see. Some pretty good names this offseason. There are some interesting players who could opt out, which could really change the whole free agent market. Oh, it certainly could. And as we're doing this podcast right now, we're actually seeing an opening number on the Houston Astros and the Tampa Bay Rays for Tuesday with the Tampa Bay Rays going with Diego Castillo and a bullpen game in a must-win to keep their season alive situation. For one, I don't think I've ever seen that in the playoffs. 
And for two, right now you're seeing the Astros with Justin Verlander on the mound at minus 240. Do you give the Tampa Bay Rays any shot of being able to pull this one out? Because, like I said, I've never seen it before where a team is going to be going with a bullpen game in order to try to get a must-win game in the playoffs. Memory might be failing, but did the Brewers have one last year? I'm just trying to remember. I think think to your point, the Brewers were doing that every game. Yeah, because they, they lost like all their pictures due to injury. They weren't sure about Shasin. They lost Zach Davies, I think it was. I used to have a better memory than I do now. I'm getting old, but it is pretty dramatic. And the Rays, I mean, they trust their bullpen. Obviously, it's a risky thing to do. And, you know, you're always going to be second-guessed if it doesn't work out. I had them as 42-58 underdogs against the Astros in Game 4 and 35-65 underdogs in Game 5. So it's possible. If you look at those odds, at least it's like one in seven. But I mean, one in seven is better odds than Barry Bonds hitting a home run in any at bat. And nobody was ever shocked if Barry Bonds hit a home run. That is so true. But I will have to say this as well with Diego Castillo. I don't know if he's going to be able to give them a first inning. He's been highly erratic all year long and just makes me question why they're the Rays are going with him as the opener rather than one of their other bullpen arms because With the Tampa Bay Rays, they've just got a plethora of arms, and Castillo, to me, is just not one of the more reliable ones. It does feel like not the most elite matchup when you look at it next to Justin Verlander. Yeah, it's one of those situations where it's like, and your pitching matchup for today in a must-win situation, (laughs) Justin Verlander and Diego Castillo. (laughs) Of course, why would him, you know, have an immaculate inning in the first and make us look dumb? Yep, of course. That's the way it always works. Just like <laughs> baseball. I was thinking with the Yankees versus the Twin Series because they were saying that there was going to be all sorts of fireworks. It's like, watch it be a one to zero game with like the one score being on an infield single. Thankfully, that did well, not there, happen or else that I would have really felt dumb. Well, there have been fireworks. It's just mostly been the Yankees. Oh, yeah. There have been a couple cheapy home runs for the Minnesota Twins, but we're not going to be seeing that in Minnesota. And what else we're not going to be seeing is Dan Zaborski ever slough off on his work. He does tremendous work with Fangraphs and ESPN. Dan, let the good people at home know where they can find you. Obviously, your Twitter handle is at DZimborski, and I know that you post up tremendous work there and tremendous work on every platform that you work on. Well, I'm very heavily on Fangraphs. We're doing our postseason chats, our postseason gamers. I'm slipping in my little elegies for the season where I kind of say goodbye to everybody before the winter. But we have a lot of fun. I had an ESPN piece this week on each lineup and what they have to do to win the series, like what, what has to go right for their offense. So check them out. Hopefully you like them. And if you don't like them, hopefully you still read them before you didn't like them. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to like them, but as long as you collect on it, I get the credit. <laughs> Just like this podcast. If you're listening and you hate it, well, thank you for listening because it counts all the same. So a big thanks to Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Coming up next... It is undetermined at this point of the podcast in which how many games I will be able to give you and touch them all, but I'm giving you a side in total and at least one of them in the next segment. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. 
Alright, and a big thanks to Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Vivid Seat Studios from the lovely city of San Diego for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time as we are powered in this segment by my bookie, and though the number of games may be dwindling in the MLB, the opportunities to pad your pocketbook and to get more money into your bankroll is still there, and my bookie has you covered with the odds on all these games along with great player props, in-game betting, series betting, and so much more. So a big thanks to them for helping me out with this. And now let's get into that part of the segment where I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed, at GNRSQD1. With this, we've got only one game that's going to be going down on Tuesday. That's because the Yankees and the Twin Series is all done, but we do have two Game 5s that are going to be going down on Wednesday. I'll give you some initial thoughts there, but we're going to start with the one game that's going down on Tuesday. That is 909-910 on the betting rotation. Talked about this a little bit before with Dan Zaborski. Houston Astros on the road against the Tampa Bay Rays. Diego Castillo goes for the Tampa Bay Rays. Justin Verlander for the Houston Astros. If you're looking at this total... It is 7.5, and and the juice is a little bit all over the place. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Under is also anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115, so pick your juice there. Not going to be able to pick your juice on the side, though, as he has throws anywhere between a minus 234 and minus 250 favorite. If you like the raise, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 210 and plus 215. I was talking about with Dan Zaborski. I just can't take the raise in this spot. It's just so hard having a bullpen day to try to save your season. And Diego Castillo... Not necessarily the most ideal closer to have in this game. I mean, I would even go with like an Emilio Pagan or someone like that. I know that some people may disagree with me, but I just have not been high in Diego Castillo all year long. And he has to go up against a guy in Justin Verlander that's been absolutely masterful. His ERA for the year below a three, probably going to win the Cy Young. 21-7, and seven, he just completely shut down the race in his last start. He wound up going seven innings, giving up, I believe, one hit. And Diego Castillo, a guy with a 3.41 ERA as a reliever, I know that he's a high strikeout guy, but with that said, this is a Houston Astros lineup that is full of so many guys that are able to hit. Yoli Gurriel along with Michael Brantley, George Springer, Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez. list goes on and on of guys that had a batting average of a 285 or greater and 20-plus home runs. And then Alex Bregman had 40 of his own. He was terrific towards the end of the year. And then you've got other guys like Kyle Tucker, Martin Maldonado, and Robin Cicerinos that are able to catch. That all do a good job in the lineup. And even a guy like a Josh Reddick. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, they certainly were able to get going yesterday. Austin Meadows has had a terrific season for this team. His numbers in the second half of the year were comparable to that of Cody Bellinger. You also have William Thomas, Nathaniel Lowe, G-Man Choi, all these guys. They have a little bit of pop in the bat along with Travis Arano, but Travis Arano in this series along with G-Man Choi and Kevin Kiermaier owing a 133 or lower. Yandy Diaz had those two home runs in the AL wildcard game, but past that, he hasn't done a lot. Tommy Pham has been good. He had 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases during the regular season. He's hitting a 375 in the series, but by and large, this is going to be a little bit of a tough matchup. I know that the Houston Astros had to use a lot of bullpen arms yesterday, including Wade Miley for two and two-thirds innings, but this is a Houston Astros lineup that this is a Houston Astros bullpen that does have a lot of depth, and both these teams had a top-five bullpen 
with regards to ERA, and I think that Justin Verlander is going to be able to shut down the Tampa Bay Rays. I think that the Houston Astros should be able to win this game by multiple runs. So I've already locked in the run line, and I already locked in the total on this game. It actually opened up at eight in a couple spots, so I locked it in right there, already down to seven and a half. Still advise a play of under at seven and a half. And then, like I was saying earlier, 9-11-9-12 was supposed to be Yankees versus Minnesota Twins game four. Well, as we know, with the Yankees wrapping up that series, that's not going to be happening. But then you got 9-13-9-14. These are games for Wednesday. St. Louis Cardinals against the Atlanta Braves. If you're looking at this for the St. Louis Cardinals side, slight favorite anywhere between minus 105 and minus 108 with Jack Flaherty going for them. And they're on the road facing off against Michael Fultonavich of the Atlanta Braves. And the Braves are anywhere between minus 102 and minus 105 as we look at it. 12-8 over and under, both at minus 110. This is a spot where I certainly have got to be looking at the under. Last time these two men did battle, it was a 3 to nothing Atlanta Braves win. I certainly think that the St. Louis Cardinals could scratch across a little bit more. You've got someone in Paul Goldschmidt that had 33 home runs this year. Now, I realize that Paul DeYoung and Marcel Zuna certainly have not been doing a great job with their batting average all year long, but both these guys did have 29 home runs during the regular season. Colton Wong hit a 365 during the second half of the regular season, during the postseason. He hasn't quite been doing that good. He has been a little bit banged up, so you do want to note that, but this team is also getting a little bit of production out of Tommy Edmond as well. He's been hitting right around 300 for the series. He was hitting in that realm for the regular season, though Dexter Feller, he has certainly been in the skids, and Matt Carpenter isn't what he once was along with Yadier Molina for the Atlanta Braves. Ronald Acuna Jr. has been absolutely amazing in this series. He had four hits yesterday, and then you had Ozzy Albies go deep. He had a 385 in the final 30 days of the regular season. He certainly has been getting things going, but Freddie Freeman and Josh Donaldson, pair of guys that had 36 home runs during the regular season, both hitting below a buck 33, and then you got Nick Markakis and Matt Joyce, pair of guys that hit it right around a 290. Buck 76 for Markakis, buck 11 for Matt Joyce in this series. You are getting a lot out of Dansby Swanson, and he was banged up towards the end of the year and came back. And then Adam Duvall as a pinch hitter has been terrific as well, but by and large, I do think that this is going to be an under game. And with Jack Flaherty, I know he gave up three runs in the last start. Two of them were off a pinch hit home run in the seventh inning, but if you take a look at his 16 starts to end the regular season after the All-Star break, .91 ERA. Mike Fultonavich ever since getting recalled from AAA. It's got an ERA below a three, but I do think that the Cardinals have a little bit of a better bullpen, though it was a little bit shaky in the last three days of the regular season, so going to be going with the Cardinals and the under in this spot. This is one of which I'm in Wayne Simo, just trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice on both, but I'm certainly going to be riding out both in the 9-15, 9-16 on the bang rotation. Is the Dodgers playing also Washington Nationals in that game five? Stephen Strasburg goes for the Nets. Walker Beeler for the Dodgers. You're seeing a total on this game is 7 with the over anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. The under is anywhere between plus 105 and even. And if you're looking at the Dodgers anywhere between minus 145 and minus 146 is what you're laying plus price with the Nationals. Anywhere between plus 130 and plus 136. Steven Strasburg in game 2 looked absolutely magnificent and he should be on full rest because there is going to be a day off in between. But with that said, I do think that things are going to be running a little bit thin for this Washington Nationals team and even if Steven Strasburg is able to go like seven strong innings. You still have that bullpen of the Washington Nationals, which who knows what they're going to be doing. Are they going to be trotting out their Mad Max Scherzer in relief? You just don't know. And we saw when they did trot out their starter in Patrick Corbin a couple days ago, it came back to bite them. I know that Max Scherzer is a little bit of a different animal, but for with Walker Buehler, he's lost one decision at home so far this year. He looked absolutely terrific in game one of this series as well. He wound up going six innings, giving up one hit, eight strikeouts. He did a terrific job there. And you take a look at starts at home, not against the Colorado Rockies. He really 
has been absolutely dynamic ever since the All-Star break. The team's not named the Colorado Rockies at home. He gave up one earned run. That's absolutely insane. So I do think that the Dodgers have a big advantage. Aaron, with the Dodgers, I do think that they are going to be able to get into the Washington Nationals and that bullpen, whether it be Mad Max Scherzer coming out or if it be someone like a Tanner Rainey or a Fernand. Oh, no! Rodney, as you do have so many guys that are able to hit home runs, Max Muncy has a pair of them in this postseason. Justin Turner down for what is sitting at 333. He was missing throughout the back half of the regular season. He's been terrific. And then you've got guys like Corey Seager, A.J. Pollock, and Chris Taylor that all hit right around a 260 with power during the regular season. Will Smith has been struggling in the series, but by and large, he had a very good season. David Freeze has been great in this postseason, though. Cody Bellinger is starting to pick things up a little bit as well. He was a little bit cold towards the back half of the season, but then you even got a guy in Jock Peterson who had 30-plus home runs. And for the Washington Nationals, you've got some firepower there with Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto. Both these guys during the regular season had an on-base percentage of a 400. They both also had over 105 RBI and 34 home runs. Trey Turner at the top lineup has been doing a great job of hitting in the threes with a 333. And Howie Kendrick does a good job of getting on base. Glove is a little bit of an issue. And then you've got Michael A. Taylor and Ryan Zimmerman both hitting above a 400 in the series. You do want to note that, but by and large, this is a spot where I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to overwhelm the Washington Nationals. And I do think that both these teams are going to be able to scratch across some runs. So I'm going to be looking at the over and the Dodgers. Are you locked in the Dodgers money line as a play? I don't want to be going run line. I want to be safe there. And with regards to this over, would certainly like to lay a little little bit less juice. If that means an unjuice 7.5 at even rather than minus 120 on 7, that means that I've got to mitigate that juice. So I'm very comfortable whether it be 7 or 7.5 and, and I'm going to be on both of those. And that will do it for the Tuesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to Dan Zaborski of Fangrass for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. A very big question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it at GNRSQuarty1. Let's make today a successful profitable and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thanks so much for tuning in.